He's an old army man. He has a wife, kids, loves his family, loves his family. He's got a good job. He's in charge of the jail, in charge of the prisoners. It's his responsibility. Pays, pays pretty well. He, he enjoys it okay. Maybe some days a little more than others. This day was so weird, though. It was so weird. He got two new prisoners, and he never met anybody like them. He heard the stories. They were in the city, and they caused a commotion. Apparently, this is what happened. They were sharing about this new religion that no one had heard of, connected somehow to Judaism, but something we had not heard before. And there was a girl following the two of them around, his two prisoners. This girl was following them around the city. And she was shouting, Listen to what these men are saying. They're telling you how to be saved. Whatever that means. Saved. He knew this girl. He'd stood around while she gathered a crowd. This little girl predicting fortunes, predicting futures, speaking in a voice that couldn't possibly be that of a young girl. Something that sounded much more sinister. But she had the power. And she made the money. And he'd seen her do her, her show, her performance, her fortune telling. He'd seen the money come in. He saw the owners off to the side watching her, counting the money in their head as it came in to her. He saw it. So apparently this young girl is following these two guys around the city, shouting at them. These are the ones telling you about salvation. And finally one of those guys, one of his prisoners, turned and just cast out whatever spirit was in her. Out of it, and, and some guy named Jesus' name. And the spirit left her. And so now, the owners are without their source of income. No more shows. No more fortunes told. And so they're angry. And, and, and he smiles and he says, If it was my daughter, I wouldn't want her to go through that. I wouldn't want her to have a spirit. No matter how much money it made me. He judges the owner's motives in that moment. In any case, a crowd gets in an uproar, grabs the two men, doesn't put them on trial, but takes them to the magistrates, the rulers, and they're flogged with rods over and over and over. And he knows that all the riffraff was there in the city. The people that loved the sight of blood and open backs. They were all watching. All getting a thrill out of it. And what were they accused of? Well, they were accused of breaking Roman law and promoting a new religion. Really? A new religion. It sounds to me like an angry owner of a girl who no longer can predict the future. That's what it sounds like. He rolls his eyes. So now they're here. And he fastens them to the stocks, to their feet. He usually enjoys that a little bit, maybe a little too much, as their backs are open and they're lying in filth. His prison. Evening comes, and he's tired, sitting in his little apartment connected to the prison, and he hears something. And while the men should be sleeping, he hears singing. 
Perhaps he hears something like this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. Strange words. What is that supposed to mean? Maybe he hears something like this. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. And he thinks to himself, Who is this King of glory? And what gates will be open? The gates are shut. The gates are locked. No one gets in or out of here, but he continues to listen. He's getting tired. His eyelids are drooping. Maybe he hears this in a prayer. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried unto my God. He heard my voice out of His temple. And my cry came before Him. The earth shook and trembled. The foundations of the hills moved and were shaken. Who is this person they're praying to? And then he thinks, did I just hear them say my name? Did they, did they just pray for me? And he wonders. Oh well, it's midnight. It's time for bed. And he falls asleep. He is awoken to shaking. He falls out of bed. What is going on? Everything's moving. He's been through an earthquake before, but this one takes down the walls of the jail. Everything's smashed. And he has a moment of horror He sees his wife flashing in his eyes. He sees the faces of his children. And it's all coming to hit him right now. I will never see them again. Because the walls are down. I hear movement in the prison. And my prisoners are fleeing. By Roman law, my life is forfeit. And he is scared. As scared as he's ever been. Scareder than any battle he'd ever fought in. He is scared in this moment. And he thinks, I'm going to spare them the pain. I'm going to spare them a long goodbye. I'm going to deal with this right now. And he draws his sword to end his own life. And he hears a voice, don't do it. We're all here. He can't believe that. But he lights a torch and looks into the darkness. And he sees that all the prisoners are still there. They could have fled. But they're right there. And the first thing he has to know, the first thing out of his mouth, what must I do to be saved? And this is what he hears. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Let's pray. Jesus, as we look at this text this morning, I pray that You would lead us into it. Help us understand it. It's a remarkable story. It's a jailbreak that's not a jailbreak. And and I hope that we can see the remarkable thing that You're doing here in seeking and saving the lost. And what in the world Paul and and, and Silas were doing in that moment, in that prison. Help us understand Your Word. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you turn to Acts chapter 16?
with me. If you're joining us this Memorial Day weekend, I've been working through the book of Acts. If you're going to be joining us this summer, I'm going to keep preaching through Acts. You missed a few things, so you probably ought to catch up in your reading. Acts 16 is, is just a great chapter. It's like, what do I preach out of Acts 16? Like, how do I do the whole thing, you know? I'm not doing the whole thing. But in Acts 16, you've got the Apostle Paul going on another missionary journey, and he has a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, we need your help here. And he's like, okay, I think we need to go to Macedonia and share the gospel there because of this vision. You've got a woman named Lydia in uh, Philippi who becomes a believer. I love her story. But what I felt led to preach on was right after Paul cast a demon out of a young girl. The town gets angry. The owners are furious. And they falsely accuse Paul and Silas and lock them up. They flog them first. And then uh, they're in prison. This is verse 25. Chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights. They flipped the light switch on. Just kidding. They rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He must have brought them, he he, he then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in the house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately he and his family were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. When it was daylight, the magistrate sent their officers to the jailer with the order, Release those men. The jailer told Paul, The magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, They beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens, and they threw us into prison. And now they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. (laughs) They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them, and then they left. Philippi. Not the last time Paul will uh, deal with Philippi, obviously. We have a whole book dedicated to that church. When I read this, there's something that jumps out at me, and I knew I had to talk about it. I mean, it was just right there in the text. I'm thinking, the doors of the jail are opened. Oh, I've read this before in Acts. You remember we talked about Peter and the miraculous escape from prison and how he left and went to the house and knocked on the door, and they're like, oh, it can't be him. It's it's a ghost or an angel or whatever. And I read this and I go, 
you know, they're praying and they're singing. And if I get done praying, if I say amen and walls start falling down and doors start opening, that's a jailbreak. I'm out of there. But they don't leave. And so I just want to pose something here to, to us that are believers. When we're, when we're making decisions in our life, like do I do A or B? Do I say this or that? What do I do? When we're making decisions, let me just say, let me pose a challenge here. Number one, just because the door is open doesn't mean you ought to walk through it. Right? See, a lot of times when we're praying, we, we think, I'm going to pray for the open door. And don't get me wrong, Paul said, pray for an open door to the gospel. You know, so, so I get the open door thing. And sometimes God opens doors and says, get in there and we need to go in. But sometimes the door is open and we don't need to go in. Or in this case, go out. It's not what the Lord wants. And you say, well, it's not what the Lord wants because, because it doesn't further the gospel of Christ. It doesn't help that jailer know Jesus. Even though, clearly, the Lord did this in response to their prayers and their praise. But God had a different plan that Paul had discernment about. Just because the door is open doesn't mean you go through it. What does the Lord want? Not just circumstances. What is the Spirit leading me to do? I have a great illustration for this, a great picture I'm going to show you. I'm going to caution you before you see it. It could bring up a little bit of fear, but... I think this, this will prove my point. If nothing else does, you'll see this and go, aha, this picture says the story. Are we ready? Yeah. Yeah, right? Right? Why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Why would you do that? Instructor or not, if the door's open, I'm staying in. It, it's just, I mean, unless the plane's going down, I'm not jumping. How many of you have gone skydiving? I just need to know. Oh, two, three, four, five. So the rest of you know what I'm talking about here. <laughs> five people this illustration does not work for. The rest of you are just fine. Why would you jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Just because the door's open doesn't mean I'm going. And if I do jump... You better believe I'm going to make sure I've got a parachute on and and everything's good and my instructor is with me. You better believe I've done everything I need to do. Sometimes we want shortcuts to decision making and we just say, give me an open door and we take it. Sometimes that's what we do. Number two. Discernment is a virtue of the Christian life that I think is severely lacking both in this country and often, unfortunately, in the church. Right? Discernment. Knowing and doing what is right. Discernment is being able to distinguish between right and wrong. But also, don't forget this, discernment is able to distinguish between good, better, and best. Now you say, where do you get that definition from? Uh, Philippians, can we put that verse up? Ah, and this is my prayer. This is Paul writing. 
that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so you may be able to discern. Oh, good. Paul wants us to be able to discern, right? What is best? There are things that are good and there's things that are better. And when the walls of the jail fall down, it's good to get out of there and run to Lydia's house, right? Better to stay and and witness to the jailer and share the gospel with him, right? It's good, and God knocked the walls down, but I'm staying right here. And then he says, uh, you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Do you see? Pure and blameless. i got to know what is right and what is wrong. Discernment is being able to distinguish this decision's a bad one. I shouldn't say this to this person. If I, I, I can't listen to what these people are telling me. This is gossip. I'm going to stay away. I can't choose to go down this path because it's sinful. I won't do it. And we discern right and wrong. How do I see discernment in Paul's life in this story? Well, I've already given you a few examples. Let me give you four, though. Just, just so we're all on the same page here. How do I see discernment in Paul's life in this text? Well, an earthquake frees the prisoners, but they do not leave. I don't know if all the prisoners were free or not, but at least Paul and Silas were, and they stayed. That's not normal. That's crazy. B. In the darkness of another room, Paul shouts to save the life of a jailer. How did he know? Did he hear the sword unsheathed? Did he hear a cry of desperation? Did he hear a goodbye, my dear wife and children, and then he realized what was happening? Luke doesn't fill us in on those details. We don't know how Paul knew. But there was certainly discernment to say, I'm staying right here, bloody back and all, right here. And he shouted to save the life of the jailer. See, uh, you notice Paul doesn't seek relief. I noticed this late in the week. I was studying some more and I saw this and I was like, crazy. Paul doesn't get relief for his suffering first. This is verse 32. But he shares the gospel first. Like, you remember in 32, uh, he shared uh, the gospel with the jailer and with the family. And then it says, like in 33, that they took him into the home and washed their wounds. I mean, I, let's be honest here. You take care of me and I'll, and I'll share the gospel while you take care of my back. Like, that's me, unfortunately. But Paul knows this is the most important thing right now. This jailer is open to hearing. And the first priority is him, not me. That's discernment. And then D, uh, Paul refuses to leave until the illegal action is addressed. So remember that the, the, the magistrates send for them in the morning. This is verse 36 and 39. And they say, release them. And Paul's like, wait a minute. I'm a Roman citizen. I got flogged without a trial. This is illegal activity. Now, as Christians, you and I know in some ways we do give up rights to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. It's not all about us. But you've got to have discernment to know when to stand up for your rights. This is what is right and we can't allow this to go on. This illegal treatment of Christians must stop. That's Paul. And I think about it, I, I don't think... Paul was like standing there like this. Like, bring me the magistrates. 
Apology, please. Like, you've done that, right? With somebody. And they're like just waiting and you're like, oh, they're so smug. But I was wrong and, oh, sorry, you know. Um, that wasn't really an apology, you know. Not really. <laughs> sorry. Um, I suspect, and you can ask him when you get to heaven, but I suspect that Paul did not leave because he wanted to protect the other believers in Philippi from the same illegal treatment. Doesn't that make sense? Like, all of you better remember that this day you beat a Roman citizen within an inch of his life. Don't do it again. And so Lydia was protected. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the childhood church, the, the young church in Philippi could be protected from illegal activity because of Paul. Because he said, bring me those magistrates. I want to see them by their faces. That's discernment, isn't it? Like to think about these things? To think through what to do? I want that discernment. I want to be led by the Spirit like that. How do we get there? How could you exercise that kind of discernment in your life? I wrestled all week with this and trying to see what in Paul and Silas there was to see that, that, that would just come out. And, and I wrestled and I wrestled and I came out with this. I read, as I was thinking, I read a word that jumped out at me. And the word that I read was uh, delight. How do I discern? I discern through delight. I see Paul and Silas praising God with open backs, feet in stocks, not a very comfortable way to sleep, if you can sleep at all. And I see them praising and praying. And I wonder if they prayed for the jailer. I wonder if they had the discernment to see that they were not the ones in prison. The jailer was in prison. In his sins. All the discernment to know that. To think thoughts that no one else would think, but are biblically informed thinking. I want that discernment. But I know it comes from what I delight in. Now, now I know, I know how we make decisions every day. You know, normally throughout our day, we don't like pause before we make a decision and say, now give me five minutes, I gotta figure this out. Like, like usually our decisions come faster than that, don't they? Like, A or B, it's B. A, B, C, I'll take D, you know. It, it just, it just, we're quick. Now, when you're picking a college, and some of you graduates, you know, like you, you felt that. Um, when you're making a decision on who to marry, I mean, you're thinking, asking for advice. And, and I know advice is good. Getting advice is good. I know doing pros and cons, should we buy this house? What are the pros? What are the cons? Let's think logically about this. I know all that is present in making a good decision. I'm not taking anything away from those strategies. I've made the columns and done all of that. But I wonder if mostly my everyday decision making, I wonder if 90%, 95% of the decisions that we make are just right here, right now, make the decision and go for it. And I've and I, and I got to think that if that's how it is, that comes from what I delight in. Let me say it like this. When I go to a restaurant and they give me 
a menu. And I'm looking at the menu. And I'm thinking to myself, not in these words, but it's, it, it's totally this. What will delight me? <laughs> you know what I mean? What, what food that I could order would bring me happiness in this moment? Or if you're driving around and you're wondering what restaurant to go to, you know, and you're thinking, oh, this restaurant would make me happy. And, and then Christy says, this restaurant would make me happy. What are we going to do? They're different, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> well, I we want to delight my wife, so we go where she wants to go. <laughs> That's how it is. And they bring you the menu, and you're looking at it, you know. Um, what will delight me? Now, I know some of, you, some of you say, now, wait a minute, Niall. I go to the restaurant, and I think, what's healthy? What, what will provide me the right nourishment? And I would say, even you, even you are saying to yourself, the nourishment brings me delight. And sticking to the diet, while hard, does something for my soul, something for my heart that I know is good. That there is a delight factor in what I choose. That's how I look at a menu. And I think when we have the menu of decisions in front of us, it's what do you delight in? What delights your heart? Let me give you, now, I've given you a secular example of what I'm talking about, you know, an everyday example. Let me give you a, a, a biblical example of what I mean from Isaiah. This is talking about Jesus. You probably recognize this. We read this at different holiday times. Isaiah 11 says, A shoot, a little plant, will come, from the stump, come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of what? of wisdom and understanding. I want that. The spirit of counsel and power. I want that. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Yes, give me that. And verse 3, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. The walls have fallen down. Let's get out of here, guys. Or decide by what he hears with his ears. He's delighting in the fear of the Lord. That delight is shaping the life of Christ. And when you delight in the things of God, the Spirit is able to direct your decisions. Right? The Spirit's able to direct your decisions. Because what? You delight in the Word of God. I was having a conversation recently with a young person, and they were trying to decide a major theological issue, one that impacts the church, and they were wrestling with it. I wouldn't call it like a, a moral sin issue or anything like that. But, but it, was a, it was a significant issue they were wrestling with. And I, I just had a brief little snippet of a conversation with them. But the little that I got gave me huge encouragement. Not because they'd made their decision yet on this theology issue. And you know I love theology. And, and, and I love sticking to the Word of God. But what gave me encouragement was, not that they decided yet, but... They talked with delight about this book and that this is the authority and they want to understand this. They, 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 they spoke less about human opinions and more about this. I don't need to hear so many human opinions. I need the Word of God. Do you delight in the Scripture? Isn't that Psalm 1? His, a man is planted by the streams of water. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. Delight. 
delight. I delight in the Word of God. I delight in the Gospel. I love it when people hear the Gospel. I love it when people respond to the Gospel. And yes, sometimes I'm not good at it. I'm in the community and I'm talking to somebody and I forget to share it, you know. I'm like anybody else. But when I can talk about Jesus, I love it. The other day I was talking with somebody on the phone. I don't know if they're here in church today. I, if they are, maybe they, I'm not going to say their name, obviously. But, but not believers. And I was talking on the phone about something. And at the end I was like, can I pray for you? Is that okay? Long pause. Like no one has ever prayed for me on the phone. I'm sure that's what they were thinking. I'm sure. I'm like, who is this crazy guy, you know? And uh, okay, I guess that's okay. And so I pray, you know, I pray, and I know I'm going to talk to them again, and it's like, I don't know, I, I don't know. But when you delight in the Scripture, when you delight in people knowing Jesus, when you delight in that, you make decisions according to that. You open up the menu of life and you say, oh, this would please the, please the Lord, this is what I will choose. Delight. Now, some of you say, I don't delight in the right things. I understand. You need to ask Him for the delight. You need to ask Him to bring you to the place where if you were bruised and bloodied and in prison, you could sing praises because you delight in your Lord that much. If you've been reading blogs of other people and telling you what to think about life and, and listen to the media and what they tell you to think about life and you haven't been opening this, you know, this is what we delight in. I don't delight in my news feed. No matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, this is what I delight in. And when you delight in the things of God, the Spirit can come in and direct your decision making. And again, that 95% of the time, it's just going to be like that. The walls fell down? Don't kill yourself. We're here, you know? Like, you just got it. You just got it. We're at the end. I hope this has helped you. I hope that you walk out today and maybe you say to yourself, boy, do I need to delight in the Word of God more. I'm going to dig in. Oh man, I should be praying for the wisdom of God. Let's start doing that. Oh, I should stop rushing decisions and spend more time focusing on the Lord. I, I hope you walk out with any one of those things, but I hope it all comes back to delight. Delight. And then you'll be able to discern. Okay. Um, Maybe you're here this morning, though, and you're not a believer. Someone brought you today. Let me tell you this. If you haven't trusted in Christ, you're the jailer. You're in the prison of your own sins. God is the judge. One day He will judge us by our sins. And there is a punishment. There is a consequence we call hell. But Jesus came to free the prisoners, to pay for your sins. He paid for your jailbreak. And this one He wants you to walk out. This one He wants you to get out of the prison of your sin that you're in. You're free. He paid for it. When the jailer said, what must I do to be saved? You notice that, that uh, Paul didn't say, pray more. You know, give a good offering. Don't swear. 
Be good to your wife and kids. He didn't say those things because that's not how you're saved. Saving is just the faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. It's putting out your hands and saying, I'll take it. I believe it and I'll take it. That's it. It's nothing that you've done. You can't do anything to be saved. You just receive it because it's been done. Could I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes now? Let me ask you this. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, maybe today is your jailbreak. Would you pray a prayer like this in your heart? Lord Jesus, I see that I am in need. I see that I have been in a prison of my own making, of my own sins. I deserve condemnation by the judge, by you. But I believe your son died to pay for my sins. And I want to be forgiven. Oh Lord, I reject that lifestyle I used to live. Help me live for you. Today, help me receive this free gift of salvation, a jailbreak of total freedom. Thank you for saving me. Now help me follow. If you prayed that prayer with me this morning, could I ask you to look up at me at this time? If this was your day and you prayed, I see you, both of you. I see you. I see you. Uh, Anybody else? I see you, sir. Anyone else? I see you. I want to pray a prayer for you now that you would follow through on this faith that the Lord has stirred up today. No accident that you're here. God wanted you here. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, for these five or six that have uh, responded today, I thank you that you demonstrated yourself to them. That they got a, a taste of your goodness to them in hearing about salvation. Oh Lord, I pray that you would protect this new faith that you stirred up. That they would be able to get plugged into a church where they could grow. A church that preaches the gospel, that preaches the good news, just like this that they could grow and grow and grow and follow You all the rest of their days. That there come a time where they could be baptized going into the water and knowing that just as they've gone into the water, they come out and it's a symbol of being washed clean. Just like the jailer and his family. And I pray for others that will hear about their faith. Just like the jailer shared with his family that others will come to believe through them. Do a mighty work in each one that has responded this morning. I thank you for their lives. Please keep them in your love. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen.